Hello, and welcome to the American Scientist Podcast. I'm Robert Frederick. In this episode, a story about the evolution of sleep and sleep disorders. We spend a third of our lives sleeping, but our sleep compared to other creatures is different. And more on that later on. But to understand how those differences came about, scientists have been studying the sleep of other mammals, and particularly of our closest living relatives, the apes. What is the one behavioral trait that unites the great apes that's unique to them and not found in any other primates? That's Charlie Nunn, who studies how sleep has evolved along the human lineage. He's a professor of evolutionary anthropology at Duke University in North Carolina. We're an ape, okay, along with other, you know, with chimpanzees, orangutans, gibbons, we're all apes. You might have guessed the answer has something to do with sleep. It's a hard question even for primatologists, I find. All great apes build a bed. Orangutans, chimpanzees, gorillas, and some gorillas sleep on the ground, actually. But no known human societies sleep in nests in the trees. We all sleep, essentially, on the ground, which makes us more vulnerable to predators and, well, more vulnerable to other people. So for our ancestors who first started sleeping on the ground, the hypothesis is that nature began selecting for those who slept less. Sleeping less also allowed our ancestors more time to forage for food. And overall, none says, The major factors that influence sleep are ecological, not functional benefits. But those functional benefits are key. Sleep gives the body time to repair itself, boost the immune system, and there's even evidence that sleep gives our brains the opportunity to consolidate memories. Why hasn't evolution eliminated sleep in some species, some prey, for example? There are a lot of places, cetaceans, elephant seals, where you would expect sleep to be eliminated, and it's not. So clearly there are functional benefits of sleep, but if you look at total sleep time, it looks like ecology is driving that. And the total amount of sleep time for humans? Humans sleep the least of all the primates, and this just blows me away every time I look at this. And the difference is dramatic. It's measured in hours, not minutes. Some gorillas, for example, normally sleep up to 12 hours every night. But a shorter sleep duration is not the only difference between us and our closest living relatives. We have a higher proportion of REM sleep, that's rapid eye movement sleep, when the most vivid dreaming occurs. And then finally, we propose that humans are more flexible in their sleep than other primates. And we'll get to each of those. First, being flexible sleepers doesn't just mean some of us are early risers, while others are night owls. Other primates show nighttime activity. There's no doubt about it. But we're really proposing that humans are more flexible, that we're capable of working the night shift, you know, pulling an all-nighter or two as needed, more so than other primates. Okay, so being vulnerable sleeping on the ground would naturally select for our ancestors who slept less. But what would drive the evolution of flexibility in our sleep? It's still an open question. What are the circumstances that lead to very flexible sleep versus more consolidated sleep? And what is the natural pattern in humans? And that's because, Nunn says, there is incredible diversity in what those patterns are. Sure, here in the United States, unless we're on the night shift for work, the majority of us tend to go to bed sometime after it gets dark outside. That's not true everywhere. A study of a South American hunter-gatherer group, the Paraha, 
Daniel Everett describes they take naps, 15 minutes to two hours at the extreme, okay? During the day and night, there's loud talking in the village all night long, and it's very difficult for outsiders to sleep. Now, we also have been examining this in traditional societies, in our case, agriculturalists in Madagascar, where I do global health work. We find very low sleep efficiency, very high sleep fragmentation. This is in comparison to the population in the U.S., much better sleep efficiency, much less sleep fragmentation in a U.S. population than we see in this Madagascar population. And living there in that village, I can tell you it's horrible sleeping conditions, just noise all night long, people, animals, very few barriers to noise. Okay. And so I think that it's still an open question. What are the circumstances that lead to very flexible sleep versus more consolidated sleep? And what is the natural pattern in humans? Overall, though, Nunn says, regarding flexible sleep patterns, it's important to try to get a good night's sleep. You know, the evidence suggests that even if hunter-gatherers and other traditional populations, you know, it looks like they're getting six and a half, seven hours of sleep, maybe even six hours a night, that doesn't mean it's the healthy thing to do. You know, we can't just look for a paleo answer to everything, whether it's diet or, uh, or sleep. You know, we have to really think about what the evidence suggests for what's healthy. And what's healthy can be divided up into two parts. The first part is your individual health. What's good for you? We've identified a number of very important connections between sleep, sleep duration, and measures of cognition, cognitive performance on different kinds of tasks like memory or focus. We've also demonstrated strong links between sleep and various health metrics. For example, links to uh, uh, between short sleep and diabetes, obesity, heart disease, as well as associations between irregular sleep patterns and cancer, for example. So quite a bit is, uh, is known about that. Some questions involve, you know, what exactly causes those links to emerge? Is there some third factor that's, you know, not being accounted for? But the correlations are certainly there. And it could be too little sleep or too much sleep. It seems that there's a, a sweet spot you know, right around seven or eight hours a night. The second part of what's healthy is what's healthy for our species, evolutionarily, in order to survive and thrive. That seems to include the higher proportion of REM sleep, or rapid eye movement sleep. How that evolved may have something to do with our ancestors having built beds and nests. Lying down comfortably in a stable nest may enable deeper stages of sleep, more intense sleep. Okay. A bed is important for sleep quality, which is important for cognitive performance for the brain at some level. So combining the fact that our ancestors were sleeping comfortably on the ground, but were more vulnerable there, early humans experienced selective pressure to fulfill their sleep needs, physical and cognitive sleep needs, in the shortest time possible. But also opportunity cost. If you're asleep, you're not getting the benefits of social interaction, Right or the benefit of social learning, of acquiring and transmitting new skills and knowledge. And that's what's made humans so incredibly successful, right? That social learning, why we spread across the globe in such a rapid amount of time. And so natural selection has been whittling away our sleep probably for millions of years. With REM sleep helping us consolidate our memories, consolidate our knowledge of what we've learned, including what we've learned socially. In other words, Nunn says, Well, I think humans for millions of years have had better things to do than sleep. I mean, we all have that experience today. It's so easy to put off sleeping another 10 minutes, another 15 minutes to finish reading, to 
watch a show or whatever it might be. And that's been going on throughout human history. There are always better things to do than sleep. Talking to a neighbor, learning a new skill from other people in your village or group, just generally socializing. All of these things are things that we benefit from as a species, as individuals in the, in the human species. Whether it has to do with hunting or something in the household, both men and women learn very much through social learning. Of course, uh, our infants require a lot of care and uh, attention uh, throughout the night. And uh, they also require a lot of learning so that they can have the skills that are needed to be a successful human. And that's, of course, why we have the extended childhood that we have, so that that kind of learning can take place. And so throughout our lives, you know, from when we're children to, you know, even in our old age, we're always learning or teaching others how to do the things that are important for being a human, for being a successful human. So what evolutionary drivers behind sleep disorders, like insomnia? Sure. We, uh, this is one of the areas that we're really working on now, is trying to understand how this evolutionary perspective across mammals can help us understand sleep disorders and even ways to be more effective sleepers from what we can learn from other animals in the animal kingdom. In terms of insomnia, there are some indications that uh, in human populations and European populations, historically, humans had a biphasic sleep pattern, meaning that they had a first sleep and a second sleep. And there are references to this in the literature throughout the ages in many different human cultures in Europe. So they went to bed and then they woke up in the middle of the night and then they went back to sleep again? They had a period of sort of quiet activity in between two sleep bouts. That's right. And of course, one of the kinds of insomnia is middle of the night insomnia or middle insomnia when people wake up in the middle of the night and have trouble sleeping. And so, you know, one idea might be that this is a pattern that, you know, many of our ancestors would have actually lived in until the advent of very effective gas lighting and then electrical lighting. What advantage would be conferred by getting up in the middle of the night? Well, again, it's an opportunity for socializing, for eating. It looks like people would eat, you know, during that time period. And, um, you know, just quiet reflection of one kind or another you know, especially during the long nights of winter and, you know, more northern latitudes. Other than insomnia, are there other sleeping disorders that you're investigating? Well, we're still at an early stage in all of this, but some of the other ones we're looking at are seasonal affective disorder. We're looking at narcolepsy as another one, and which is an autoimmune disease. And so what are some of the, you know, perhaps more recent triggers in modern life that have, you know, influenced the onset of higher rates of narcolepsy in some populations? Charlie Nunn, thank you very much. Thank you. I've enjoyed talking with you. That was Charlie Nunn, an evolutionary anthropologist from Duke University in North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about what scientists know about sleep and the questions that they have, visit our website at americanscientist.org and search for sleep. You've been listening to a podcast from American Scientist magazine, published by Sigma Xi, the Scientific Research Society. I'm Robert Frederick. Thanks for joining us.